Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Good morning, Antioch Fort Worth. I'm happy to be up here today. Way out of my comfort zone, but God's big. Um, happy Mother's Day, and I'd also just like to acknowledge that it may not be a happy day for everyone, so if you're at a place of loss or waiting, just pray that you feel the comfort of the Lord near today. Okay, if you did not come through this foyer, you're going to want to exit this way, because one of our mamas, Nancy Posey, has painted a beautiful overwhelming um, work of art out there. And so you need to see that it's like beauty kind of exploded all over the foyer. So walk out that way and enjoy that. Um, Okay, I'm going to introduce our family. Get put a picture up. The Pennington crew, here we are. Um, So Brent and I have been, well, in December, we're going to celebrate 25 years. We are going to celebrate. And... These other four are four of the most courageous humans that I know. So Ben is now a senior at Baylor. Kate is a sophomore at Abilene Christian University. Jack is 13. And Joy is 7. And they are all here this morning. I'm so excited. So you might have noticed in this picture. There are a lot of mamas represented in our family picture. Brent's mom, my mom, a lot of spiritual mamas, two very courageous birth mamas, and maybe some future mamas in there. So I just like to celebrate the ways that God creatively makes a family. Okay, you can take the picture down. Um, Okay, so I am not sharing today because I am a perfect mama. Um, You know, sometimes we share stories where it's like, well, 10 years ago this happened, and I've got it all figured out now. We are right in the messy middle. So this feels super vulnerable. If you have been with our family, you have seen we are working it through. And you've probably also seen that the King of Kings is sovereign, and he is glorious in our messiness. Um, So mothering has been an amazing gift in my life, and still is, and it's also been a crucible. And um, so I am going to tell you a little bit about my story today as we look at the word, but I want to invite you also to consider what your crucible is. Anybody have a definition for crucible? Okay, just an aside, I'm not normally a preacher. I'm a high school teacher. So interaction is welcome. That would be great. Um, Just go for it. What's a crucible? A trial, yeah. What else? Yes, it's hot, intense. Anything else? Painful. Okay, I've got two definitions that I looked up in the dictionary. A crucible is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. Second definition, 
a situation of severe trial or in which different elements interact leading to the creation of something new. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your crucible? Is it your marriage? Is it your workplace? Is it a relationship? Is it parenting? Is it finances? Okay, so everybody think about that for a minute, and then we're going to put that on hold for a second. All right, if you've got a bulletin, it says the main thing. Here's what we're going for today. The main thing, God is inviting us to embrace the unseen work of the kingdom in our lives. So maybe we should define kingdom. Anybody in world history class right now? Raise your hand if you're taking world history. Yeah. Okay, so we actually live in Thailand, and it's called the kingdom of Thailand. So when we enter the airport, you see this big sign, welcome to the kingdom of Thailand. That means we have a king. Yes, so a kingdom has a sovereign. Kingdom is also all-encompassing. So it is the political systems, the social systems, the economy, the geography, the weather. It is all things, everything. So when we think about this as the kingdom of God, who's king? He's reigning and he's sovereign. He's trustworthy. And this is the part that I really love. The kingdom of God is not in competition with all the other kingdoms. He reigns. The kingdom of God is subverting all the other kingdoms. So as mama, I am not in competition with all the other mamas. And my children are not in competition with all the other children. We are held in the kingdom of God. I'd also like to say our king is not a dictator. God invites us into his kingdom. The impatient sovereignty of a dictator does not permit non-participation, but the sovereignty of our Father patiently, mercifully waits for worshiping obedience. The kingdom of God is a person working in our lives. Who can remember what Jesus' first words were as he launched his ministry? In Mark, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Nothing takes place outside the kingdom of God. Okay, so back to your crucible question. Another way you might could think about this, Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So maybe where is a place in your life right now that you don't have peace or joy? Could that perhaps be your crucible? All right, let's jump into the Word of God. We're going to be looking at three parables in Luke 13. But let me set this up for you first. So between Luke 9 and 19, it's called the travel narrative. Jesus has left Galilee, and he's traveling down to Jerusalem. And so after he gets to Jerusalem, about a week later, he's going to be crucified. So as he's traveling through Samaria, 
That's hostile territory. So he's speaking with his disciples and whoever he runs into along the way in stories. I think that's kind of interesting. Because whenever we get in an intense time, like launching kids to college, I kind of go in overdrive on, do you know this? And we got to figure out this. And what about this? And do you know how to do this? And they're like, ah, it's like going over their heads. But then if I'm like, hey, you know, when I went to college, da 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 and tell a story, all of a sudden it makes a little bit more sense. So what's Jesus doing in this place? He's telling stories because he knows his disciples and others can get that more than they can get a big long list of all these things we should be doing. So Eugene Peterson, he translated the version of the Bible in the message. He says, parables release the adrenaline of urgency into our bloodstream. So what are we trying to be urgent about this morning? The kingdom of God coming in power. Okay, let's look at Luke 13, verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Okay. Anybody have an idea about what the fertilizer was back then? Manure. Manure stinks. Okay, so we live in northern Thailand, and our house is in what might be considered a village. And so um, my happy place is to get on my bike and bike and be with Jesus, and it is beautiful. So I'm biking through mountains and rice fields, and um, chickens are scurrying across the road. Um, But there's a certain rice field that I'll pass at certain times of the year, and it stinks. Why does it stink? It's recently been fertilized. And what do they use? Manure. So here's the crazy thing. At certain other times of the year, guess which rice field is the greenest? That rice field. There's something about the microorganisms and manure, that the dead and decaying stuff that is the work of resurrection. So I'm going to tell you, you know, y'all know you're going to get mom's stories today. Um, so I have permission to tell these stories. Um, <laughs> the first story um, is about Ben. So when Ben was 13, um, we had been in a season for quite a few years about praying for our fourth child, who happens to be sitting on the front row right now. Um, and so we... A lot of prayer, and then all of a sudden we were made aware of a complicated situation. So we began praying in earnest, and we asked our kids to pray. And so we were all praying. And so this was about a two-week two period that um, 
we were praying and then touching base. And so um, on this Saturday morning, I'd gone to pick up Ben from a sleepover. And so it's just the two of us, and we're driving home together. And I ask Ben, so Ben, have you discerned anything in prayer as we're praying about this um, baby sister? And he looks at me and he says, Mom, I hope that birth mama takes one look at you and gives that baby to somebody else. (laughs) Put some manure on that. So I had spent the last years of mothering. I don't know what your default is, but I can go to anger and passion pretty quickly. And so I was learning as a mama that that is not always the best place to go. And so when Ben said this, this fire was rising up in me. And I was about to tell him what I thought because I was so mad. And I thought the Lord was like, be quiet. I'm doing something. So we drove home about five more minutes. And then what's the first thing I do when I get inside? Brett, (laughs) come here. (laughs) I got to tell you what your son said to me. Um, Then we go in the bedroom and we begin to talk and pray. And I settle down. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with whatever you're doing in our family that feels really painful right now. And I trust you with my emotions that feel pretty out of control. What are you doing, Lord? And so we entered into a time with Ben, who, if those of you who know Ben, this was a pretty out of character statement for him. He was very logical, very analytical. And so what Ben had done was he had calculated out that he was going to have four and a half years with this possible precious baby sister, and then he was going to move to the other side of the world and live there. And at that point, as his 13-year-old self, that was cost was too high because he wanted to know and be a part of this sister. So if I had just cut it down... We would have missed this amazing season with Ben of walking through, wow, change is overwhelming. How are we going to take our emotions to the Lord? How can we trust him? Sometimes we need to put a little manure on it and leave it alone and trust that the God of resurrection is doing something in these places that feel so insecure or painful. Okay, manure is not a quick fix, but it is a slow solution. Go back to your crucible right now. What's that thing that you need to just leave it alone and trust that God's working? The next parable in verse 18. Oh, wait a second. Let me go back. Um, Sometimes it helps to know what something isn't. And so when we're in these waiting times, what is waiting not? Because waiting can be a really passive thing. This is not passive. This is waiting expectantly. So what, what this waiting is not, it's not daydreaming about myself. It's not 
not walking around discouraged and exhausted. It's not just trying harder in my own strength. And it's certainly not listening to condemning lies or self-talk. What it is, is running with perseverance with my eyes set on the author and perfecter of my faith. Praying and abiding and then trusting in the King. And right now today, as we do the next few weeks before we head back to Thailand, this is pretty much an hourly surrender as I look to Jesus. God is active in this world, and sometimes he asks us to just stop on our tracks and wait. Okay, next parable. Verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. How many of you have seen a mustard seed before? Anybody? It's itty bitty, about the size of like a a pin prick. But I'm told it can grow into this massive tree often in adverse conditions. So I have another story. So about three years ago, um, we were launching our first kid to college. And then immediately, like the next day, we were getting on a plane and flying back to Thailand. Um, so if for those of you who have flown internationally, you know this can be a little bit complicated. So over the last 13 years, we've done this every two or three years. And so um, we're the family circus as we go through the airport. And Brett and I have a deal that as we get started, we will not have any serious conversations. We're not going to talk about our marriage, our parenting, what we're doing. We're just going to like enjoy the journey because there's something going on. We've just told somebody on one side of the world, goodbye. We're raw. It's like five in the morning when we get to the airport. Everybody's exhausted. Um, so on this particular morning, we had taken Ben, got him settled at Baylor. The next morning, um, the Albrights took us to the airport, and Brent carries a backpack with all those important documents in it that get us in and out of a nation. So he's at the ticket counter, and I'm with the kids, and we're, you know, sitting there, and I'm dishing out granola bars, and Jack starts going, Ben. Ben, we can't leave Ben. I'm like, Jack, we're okay. We, we, it was, we knew this was going to be hard, but we were not ready for how hard it was going to be. And so um, we go to security, and at the point that we get to security, the dams burst in Jack. Um, and so for those of us who have come from hard situations, we have triggers And this trigger of loss had gotten flipped in Jack. And so we were all grieving. But what we were learning was that God was working, but it was going to look totally different than our prayers of we're going to grieve and cry and we're going to move on. And so as we go into security, the, the little whisper 
turns into a wail from some deep, deep place. Ben! We can't leave Ben! And then at some point, Brent scoops up Jack and off we go. We get on the plane and um, the flight attendant looks at me and she's like, and at this point, Jack's cries have become, you know, when we cry so hard, it's like, <laughs> that it's this. And so the flight attendant's like, can I get him something? I said, well, we, we just left his big brother and we're flying. And as I'm telling the story, I'm realizing, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't have a clue. Lord, can I trust you with my emotions? Can I trust you that this family that you've given us, that you're going to take care of? And so um, it was not just a plane flight. It was not just a week. It was not just a month. It was about a year. That Because sometimes sad looks like mad. And so we all had emotions coming out crosswise, upside down, out the, and it was intense at our house. And let me tell you, I know the God of breakthrough personally because he comes. And it always looks different than what I think. So what's your crucible? How are you going to believe God in your intense moments that he's coming? Because I've learned I am not constantly reevaluating the goodness of God based on my current trial. I know he's good. I know he will come. I know that he loves me. And let me just say, if you haven't had hard times yet, just keep living. That's part of life. Um, How can we get ourselves in a position to receive from God? What will it take for me, for you, to live with this kingdom mindset. Sometimes it seems like nothing, but God is doing something deeply profound. Okay, the last parable. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So raise your hand if you like to bake. All right, a few of us. So you might get this part of the yeast. It has to have time. There's a part in baking bread where you have to set it aside. This is not a parable about needing. And I like to need. I like to work it through. This is a parable about setting it aside and trusting that the yeast is going to work. Trusting that Father God has it. So what's it going to take for us to wait well? To set it aside. When people ask Jesus in John 6, what do we do to do the work that God requires? What does he say? The work of God is this, to believe. How are we going to get ourselves to a place where we can stand when everything in the natural looks a little bit crazy, that we're totally believing God? 
that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he'll do and that I am who he says I am. How do we tend to our souls? I want to read you a quote from When the Heart Waits by Sue Muck Kidd. Yeasting, waiting for the bread to rise. Isn't that the invisible mystery inside our waiting which produces the bread of life? To create newness, you have to cover the soul and let grace rise. You must come to the place where there's nothing to do but brood, as God brooded over the deep, and pray and be still and trust that the holiness that ferments the galaxies is working in you too. Only wait. And somehow the transformation you knew would never come that impossible plumping of fresh life and revelation does come. It manifests itself in unseen slowness. So it would happen to me and so it will happen to all who set out to knead their pain and wounds, their hopes and hungers into bread. Waiting is the yeasting of the human soul. So what Do all three of these parables have in common? It's the unseen work of the kingdom of God. So how will we wait expectantly? This is exhausting work. And God is always working. So practically... Here's what I'm believing God and waiting on. I'm just going to read this. All my children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Therefore, I stand firm looking for the goodness of God. I stand knowing my deliverer, my comforter, my rock, my refuge is present. I find my strength in the Lord. I stand believing God is who he says he is. I stand knowing Where we have shame and disgrace, God gives us a double portion of joy and restoration. I know personally our Father who comes to rescue us from our orphan's heart, and he isn't messing around. He always comes in power, and it always looks differently than what I think it will look or feel like. I've learned in this gift of the crucible of mothering that the process of God transforming our orphan hearts into hearts of sons and daughters often feels intense and vulnerable and invisible and absolutely glorious. I know my good shepherd and I lack nothing for the impossible task that he's called me to. Okay, we're going to read. From Romans 8, so one thing that mothering has taught me and is teaching me is to pray. And so when I read this passage in Romans, something gets stirred deep inside me. Because when I'm praying for the kingdom of God to come in my children's lives and in our family, there's this like hope of another kingdom that rises up. So here we go. Um. This is verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
And for those of us who birthed a child, we know that's a painful place. And we also know how to focus on Jesus. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adopt for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So how will you wait? Expectantly, prophetically, patiently. How will you stand firm knowing that your God comes? What does it look like this week? Okay, I'm going to close with a story. Um, so one of our Thai colleagues that we've worked with for over a decade um, has been one of our more intense relationships. And so in this place of work and of mothering, she's been a critic. And so emails, conversations, it's been painful and the Lord has used it. And so before we left in May or June, um, she said, Julie, I want to tell you something. And so, you know, you're like, this kind of relationship, she's like, ah, I don't know if I can take this right now. And she said, um, she said, Julie, we're all watching you. And we see that you don't give up. We see that you love that's not what we know. So what if God was using the minute things of the kingdom like yeast and seeds and manure? He was using our family that felt like a big mess to bring his kingdom and power in the community that we live in. Wouldn't that be so, the Lord? So that what... I didn't fully get that when I walk into a room, the atmosphere changes because the kingdom of God is within me and the kingdom of God is within you. So when you sit at your kitchen tables in your workplace, when you drive your car, when you do all the unseen things and you wonder if it matters, it matters. Yeast and seeds and manure. Okay, so I'm going to ask the ministry team to come and the worship team to come forward. So Anna's going to sing a song over us. Um, but I'd just like you to come and receive prayer. If you're in this waiting place, if you're wondering, whoa, how are we going to do this? If you're believing God for the kingdom... And it feels pretty fragile right now. And you can go ahead and stand up. So in our family, we have this thing we call all play. That means we're all doing something. And so this is about to be all play. So you can come get prayer. You can stand. 
where you are and receive prayer. You can just fully engage the Lord. Um, And whatever that looks like for you, you're invited to come and receive more of the kingdom of God. Bless you to come.